Well, welcome to City Church. If you're newer this morning, my name is Pete Hartwig. I serve as the lead pastor. And I need to make one correction from our news feed. We have a very important ministry that's called the Young Kids Play Group. I remember when my three children were younger and my wife just looked so forward to this type of a ministry where she could meet up with other young mothers. They could go and have some fun together and provide a playtime for the kids. So in the center leaf of your newsfeed, it says Young Kids Play Group is September 20th or 22nd. It's actually the 20th. So young moms, I really encourage you to participate in this. And I say this with all my heart. In my humble opinion, The toughest season of life is when a mom has one, two, or three little kids around her ankles. How many young moms would say amen to that? Believe me, you can say amen if you want. Well, I think it's true. Maybe you. I just remember watching my wife and just so amazed at how much energy that took. So really encourage you to participate in that. Again, it's September 20th, not the 22nd. Now what we're doing as a church family is we're going to be journeying through some things in Scripture that God calls us to remember, to remember. And last week, our service got cut short. How many of you were here last Sunday morning and you experienced the fire alarm where some people, when I said, you know, I think we need to evacuate the building Some people thought it was actually a sermon illustration, and they just sat there and didn't leave. Others of you were just panic-stricken, sprinting out the doors, but just want to commend so many of the ministries at City Church that engaged in the pre-planned reality. And it's so fascinating because Tim Longo, who's the former chief of police of Charlottesville, attends City Church, and he had been bugging me to do a fire drill. That's a true story. He said, Pete, we really need to do a fire drill. So I called chief and told him, we just did your fire drill, buddy. We just literally did what you've been asking us to do. So God works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his goodness. So listen, what we're going to do this morning is I want to pick up where we left off last week because I believe that taking communion together is mission critical for us as followers of Jesus. And if we're going to be people that live out the mission and the vision of City Church, which is follow Jesus, serve others, there's something about the communion table that is absolutely mission critical that we would do it together. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to recap a little bit of what I was teaching last week, and then yes, if you can believe it or not, we will complete the sermon this Sunday morning. So what we began talking about last week was how God calls us through communion to remember Jesus' death. To remember Jesus' death. And so at the end of this service, in just a few minutes, we're going to be taking communion together. And as we do that, it's fascinating to me that Jesus and the Apostle Paul, through his pastoral letters, calls us to utilize communion as a time where we remember the Lord's death. The first scripture is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. In there, Jesus is there at the Last Supper. He's there with his disciples. 
And as, he, as they are there together, here's what Jesus says. The Bible tells us, Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, and he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So here Jesus picks up that matzah bread and he holds it up and he says, this is my body which is broken for you and he would have broken it. But there's little doubt that none of his disciples knew in that moment what was coming. He was speaking of his death. And Jesus announces to his disciples and to us that we are to do this in remembrance of me. That phrase, do this, in the original language is in the present imperative, which means we are to do this and keep on doing it. It's a present imperative. Christ calls us not to do it once like water baptism, but we are called to do it and to keep on doing it. And then the Apostle Paul picks up on the exact verse that we've just read from the Gospel of Luke. He picks it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. And here's what the writing tells us. Here's what the Scripture says to us. Paul writing in his pastoral letter, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So the bread, we remember Christ. And the cup, we remember Christ. And then the Apostle Paul adds this commentary. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The broken body, we remember his death. The cup, we remember his death. And the Apostle Paul says whenever we do this, we are literally proclaiming his death until he comes. Why only will we do it until he comes? Well, listen, when Christ returns, then all things will be made as they should have been. When Christ returns, the ultimate completion of that is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and if you were to stand up and announce the word death, no one will know what you're talking about. No one. For in the new heaven and the new earth, every tear is wiped away, And everything that causes pain has been forgotten. And in that eternal eternity where heaven and earth come together as one, there will be no more death, nor will there be any remembrance of death. It'll be gone. But until then, we are told that we are to do this and to keep on doing it. We are to take communion together, and in doing so, we remember the Lord's death, until he returns. Now listen, I don't know how you are. I don't want to remember death. I don't want to remember death. I want to remember life. I'm about life. I don't want to remember death. 
Neither do you. But isn't it amazing that God by His grace and Jesus Himself and the Apostle Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. You are a people that through communion are called to remember the Lord's death until he returns. And I'll be honest with you, if he had not said that that's what you have to remember, I would have chosen something else. I'm going to give you an example. Two Saturdays ago, as a pastor, I participated in two things that pastors do. The first one was a funeral. The second one was a wedding reception. Now to illustrate the point, you and I would, would rather remember life than death if I said to you, I want to give you a choice. We're going to hang out together. This would have been two Saturdays ago and I'm going to give you a choice. Would you rather go with me to a funeral or to a wedding reception? Which would it be? All of us would say, I'm going to choose the wedding reception. No one would say, hey, I'm going to choose the funeral. Why? We're about life. We love life. We like to think about life, and we don't want to think about death. Yet isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul says, oh no, whenever you take communion, you must think about the Lord's death. Remember his death. Why? Why is it that Jesus himself and the Apostle Paul in his pastoral letter announces that we are to remember his death? Why? Well, one reason might be how he died. Jesus was crucified. So maybe the reason why we're called to remember his death is because of how he died. Crucifixion being the most horrible possible way to be put to death. So maybe, just maybe, we're called to remember his death because of human cruelty. And maybe there's a lesson to be had of that. Oftentimes, our media will give us pictures of very cruel things that people do to each other and it's there to shock us and to wake us up but here's the dilemma. Jesus wasn't the only one to be crucified. There were thousands of people crucified by the Roman Empire. And we know in one instance alone that hundreds of men were crucified in a row. So it can't be that. Yes, he was crucified. But that's not why we're called to remember his death. Well... If it's not that, then maybe we're called to remember the Lord's death because in death, at times, we learn something. We learn something. I have sat at funerals where during the funeral there was a challenge given by a pastor. I've done it myself. Where we've looked at how the life had been lived and we announced to the people in the congregation, here is a challenge of how to live your life in thinking about the death of the person. 
But here's what I've noticed at funerals. Just like the one that I officiated last Saturday, there was an opportunity for people to share about the person. Not a single person at that graveside stood there and recounted how the deceased had died. No one. Everyone talked about their life. Because even at a funeral, we don't want to think about death. We want to think about what? Life. We want to think about life. So maybe, though, we're called to remember his death so that we can learn something. Lastly, maybe the reason why we're called to remember his death is because to some in his day, he died as a hero. Jesus stood for what he believed. He didn't back down. He was brave. He was strong. And he died a hero. Let me explain something carefully. When we're willing to talk about death, or should I say the only time we're willing to talk about death and how someone died is when they died a hero. In our culture, it's really the only time. But you will see it at times on the news where someone died, but in the midst of their dying, they died as a hero. And in doing so, we take strength from that. And it's the only time in our culture where we want to talk about how someone died. It's the only time we want to remember their death. Last Sunday was the 15-year anniversary of 9-11. 9-11 is filled with hundreds of stories of people who gave up their lives, and in dying, they died as heroes. There were some who were in a plane, who it began to dawn on them while they were in this jetliner filled with fuel. It dawned on them what was happening, and they made the choice to move forward and to make sure that that jet did not reach its intended target and created a crash landing. And that jet crashed in Nowheresville, Pennsylvania. But in remembering that, we remember those people's deaths. Why? Because they died a hero's death. We're willing to think about death if the person died as a hero. But here's the truth. Millions of people have died as heroes. Millions. So although we might think of those three things as to why maybe we're called to remember his death because of the cruelty of humankind, maybe we're called to remember the Lord's death because in the sense of if someone dies, maybe their life could teach us a little something and maybe we would remember his death because he died to some as a hero. But when we remember the Lord's death, I don't believe that it's any three of those, although all three of those are true. I think we need to maybe ask ourselves this question. Why did Jesus die? 
Not just that we're supposed to remember his death, but let's ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus die? And when we learn why he died, you will discover he's the only one that ever died with this why. The only one. Some have died as heroes, and that's why they died. Some died because they were tortured to death, and that's why they died. But he, and he alone, died for this why. He's the only one. The only one. And that's why Jesus himself, and the Apostle Paul in the pastoral epistles, calls us to remember his death. Christ's Death is absolutely unique. There was none other like it, nor can there be, nor will there be another death with the same why of Jesus. He's the only one. So why did Jesus die? Why? Why did he die? There's a terrible pulpit joke that I'm going to tell you in this moment for the sole purpose of lightening the mood. There's a famous story or a pulpit joke about a pastor who's walking through his local community and he can hear someone crying. They're sobbing. They're wailing out loud. And he hears it's coming from the cemetery. So the pastor deviates his route and he goes into the cemetery and he finds a woman who's kneeling before a gravestone and she's grieving to the depths of her soul. And she's saying this, why did she die? Why did she die? Oh dear God, why did she have to die? And the pastor, out of pastoral concern, says to her, ma'am, ma'am, can you please tell me why you're grieving so much? And she bursts out, why did she die? Why did she have to die? And the pastor says, ma'am, please tell me, was it, was it your daughter? And she said, no. And then she wailed again. Why did she die? Why did she have to die? And he said, ma'am, ma'am, calm yourself. Was it your mother? She blurted out, no, it wasn't my mother. Why did she die? Why did she have to die? And the pastor, out of frustration, said, ma'am, I want to give you pastoral care. Please tell me who was it. And she said, it was my husband's first wife. Why did she die? Why did she? Anyway, bad joke. Let's go on to the text. So the question is, why did Jesus die? Because the gospel in the apostle Paul calls us to remember his death, and his death is unique according to scripture, and so the question is, why did he die? Why did he have to die? Why? And therein, we're going to discover why the gospels and Jesus and the Apostle Paul calls us to remember his death. Well, in order to remember, we have to go back to when death entered. Death began in the book of Genesis. Death began because Adam and Eve transgressed and they stepped out of God's best. And when they sinned, death entered. 
Death was an alien invader that invaded the human race and brought absolute catastrophe, not just to humankind, but to all of creation. And creation has been reeling ever since. All of us sit here and there's something in our knower that knows that things are not the way they should have been. Genesis tells us why. Sin entered. And when sin entered, the whole thing began to wobble and chaos entered human relationship and death entered the human body and death entered all of creation, that alien invader that God never intended for us to experience. And in the midst of that blackness and that chaos, Genesis 3.15 gives us some hope. For after sin and death has entered into the human race, God approaches Satan, the adversary of our soul, and there's this glimpse of hope as the wheels begin to fall off. And here's what God says to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking of Eve, and between your offspring and hers. And here's what God says. Her offspring to Satan will crush your head but you will strike his heel. As the wheels come off, there's this spark of hope that enters in through the voice of God about there will be a son who will come and he will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent will bite his heel. Then as we go on throughout the Older Testament, there's these strange verses that begin to appear in 700 years before Jesus was born. The prophet Isaiah makes this announcement. Please listen. Here's what he writes. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of, it as, of us all. For the transgression of my people he was punished. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered among the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 700 years before Jesus is born, these odd verses begin to come out through the prophets in the Older Testament. And then a thousand years before Jesus was born, the psalmist writes the following, My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Psalm 22 goes on to say this, For dogs have surrounded me, and a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and pierced my feet. I can count my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22 gives the description of the crucifixion of Christ hundreds of years before crucifixion was even known of. But isn't it amazing 
that the Older Testament casts a light through the darkness into the future and announces one will come and his death will bring forgiveness for the sins of all humankind. And then we move into the Newer Testament. And Jesus says, remember my death. Remember my death. And the Apostle Paul echoes that and says, remember the Lord's death until he returns. Then the Newer Testament picks up and tells us the following. Why did Jesus die? And why are we called to remember his death? 1 Corinthians 15.3 says this, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You see, Jesus' death, and I've read some of the verses, was prophesied, was announced, was foretold through the Older Testament that one would come and he would die for the sins of all humankind. And so the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for our sins. Why? According to the Scriptures. God had foretold it. God had prophesied it, and Christ accomplished it. Reading on in more scriptures in the Newer Testament, why are we called to remember his death? Here's why. In his death, Jesus became sin. Here's what the Bible says. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. His, de his death was peculiar. It was unique. There was none other like it. And God says, remember Jesus' death. Why? Because in His death, He took on our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Why are we called to remember His sin? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 tells us, Here's why. In his death, Jesus bore our sin. Here's what Scripture says. In him, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you are healed. Why are we called to remember his death? Because in his death, Jesus cancels our sin debt with God the Father. Colossians 2.14, having canceled out our debt of sin consisting of the decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken out of it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What an incredible verse. Why are we called to remember his death? Here's why. In his death, Jesus died for everyone's sin. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also died for sins once and for all. The just for the unjust. In order that he might bring us to God. Having put to death in the flesh. But made alive in the spirit. You see his death was there for a purpose. And that was so that your sin and my sin would be nailed to the cross and God's judgment against us was placed upon him. Why are we called to remember his death? Why? Why? 
We are called to remember his death because of Romans 5.8. Please listen. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. His death was unique. It was singular. It never happened before. It will never happen again. That's why we are called to remember his death. You see, when I was out there sinning, when I was out there living for myself, Christ died for me. And the Bible says this. Please hear it. But God demonstrated His love for you, and He demonstrated His love for me. How? That while I was sinning, Christ died for me. You see, remembering His death brings me to my sin, but it reminds me of God's incredible love. It takes me at my worst, but remembering Christ's death takes Him at His best. And by the way, it's the clearest demonstration of God's love for you and for me. You know what else is incredible? It's not just communion that recalls us to remember Christ's death. It's also water baptism. The two things that are the tangible expression of our love for Jesus as followers of Him, communion, we are to do it often and repeatedly, but baptism as well. Here's what it says to us in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Here's what it says. Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ, who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His, what does the text say? His death. We were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we are united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Isn't it stunning that communion is to remember his death? Water baptism is to remember his death as well. And when you are placed down in the water, you're going down in his death, and when you are raised up out of the water, you are moving through and in his resurrection to new life. Communion, remember his death. Water baptism, remember his death as well. As we conclude our time, we are going to be taking communion. So what I'm going to ask that you would do is that if you do not have the communion emblems, please raise your hand. We have those that are prepared to move forward and to serve you with communion. But again, if you do not have the communion emblem, please raise it high, your hand high, to signify that you would like to receive communion and keep it raised until you're served. In just a moment, we're going to take communion together. In about 45 minutes to an hour, 
there are going to be people that are baptized in water. Those people that are baptized in water will be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But please understand clearly that as they go through the baptism waters and they are baptized, they go into Christ's death and then they are resurrected to new life. Some of you sitting here are going, I've never been baptized in water. Never done it. I have identified with his life, but I've never identified personally in his death. That's what baptism is. It's a public declaration of a private decision that you have chosen to follow Jesus, that you have chosen to follow him, not just in his life, but also in his death. You may be sitting here saying, I've never done that. I've accepted him as Savior and Lord of my life, but I've never been baptized in water, and I wish that I could this morning. We have several people that are going to be baptized in just a few moments. But if you're here and you've never been baptized in water and you're saying, man, I wish I could, I've got great news for you. We have clothing just for you. We have shorts, we have t-shirts, we have flip-flops, we have towels. We have everything that you need so that we can eradicate your excuse. And we'd love to have you join us. So if you're here and you've never taken that step of obedience to follow Jesus, and that's you, you've chosen to follow him, I would encourage you so much to please follow through in obedience with water baptism. If that's you and you're going to step in this morning, you haven't been to our baptism class, I'm going to ask that you would meet me near the baptism uh, tank over by the picnic area where we're gathering for our picnic in just a moment. I'm going to ask that you would meet with me at 12 noon. And I'll explain to you clearly what baptism is all about and invite you to participate with us. But we're going to conclude our service now by remembering the Lord's death. Remembering that death that was one of a kind. There's never been one like it before. There will never be one like it again. He died for all humankind's sin. Once and for all. That's why we're called to remember his death. Can we stand together? As we stand together, I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes just for a moment in God's presence. Will you take a moment to remember his death? The scriptures say that we are to judge our hearts. And if there's anything in us, we should prepare for communion by asking for forgiveness. I don't want anyone in this auditorium to say, because of my sin, I cannot take communion. Please hear me clearly. The purpose for communion is to remind us that that sin is forgiven if we will but repent and ask for forgiveness. So as you hold the cup,
Will you, along with me, prepare our hearts to receive communion together? Jesus, we stand before the bread, your broken body, and the cup, your shed blood. And as we hold these symbols in our hands, we choose to remember your death until you return. But until then, we will remember your death. As upside down as that may seem, we remember your death, that you became sin for us so that we would be the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us through your death. We remember it. We acknowledge it. Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's hold the bread up and give thanks. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your broken body. We choose to remember it now. Let's partake together. Scripture says that in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim not the Lord's life, but his death until he returns. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, thank you for your death. We worship you for your shed blood that covers our sin, that removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done on the cross for us. We choose in this moment to remember your death, the uniqueness of it, the provision of it, the why that you died. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. All we can do now is to take it together in remembrance with hearts full of gratitude and worship for your death. Let's partake together. If you're comfortable doing so, would you just stand in God's presence? If you're comfortable doing so, can you just kind of lift your hands up before the Lord as a sign of receptivity to Him? The worship team is going to lead us in a brief moment of worship. And as they do, would you please give thanks to Jesus as you remember His death? Let's worship Him together. Broken and scattered in mercy gathered, mended and whole, empty handed, but not forsaken. I've been set free, I've 
Jesus, thank you so much for your death for us. Thank you that in it, there is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for your death. Thank you for the price that you paid for each and every one of us. All we can do now is to give you thanks, to worship you, and to follow you. God, thank you for calling us to remember and to do so often. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he bless the food at the picnic. And all God's people say, Amen and Amen. God bless you. Make sure that you shake a hand or hug a neck before you exit and move towards the picnic. God bless you. <laughs>